0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today's episode is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that can help you create content for your social media accounts and manage social, social ads, you name it, when it comes to social media, they got you covered. So head over to cavesocial.com, hit that, contact us, book a free consultation if you're in need of some help there. All right. Today on the show, we got uh, Kevin Alansky. He is the CMO of Higher Logic. This is a fun one. We talk about really keeping a growth mindset and still in your team and how to do that. Also, how to scale out a content plan when you're a company and how to repurpose content. We talked for a while, really interesting conversation. Especially looking at how to repurpose content. So if you are sitting there and you're feeling like you only have a skeleton crew at your company when it comes to creating content, maybe you are the only person at your business who is responsible for creating content. Then this will be a good episode for you. All right. Well, let's sit back and let's get into it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing podcast. I'm your host Jordan Shelton. Joining me on the show today, we got Kevin Alansky. He is the CMO at Higher Logic. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jordan. It's great to be here.
0: So, before we get into everything Higher Logic and the questions specifically around marketing, give us the the breakdown, man. What does your career look like to date, and what's brought you to where you're at at the CMO spot at Higher Logic?
1: Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of background. I actually listen to a ton of podcasts. So it's funny when I hear a lot of CMOs and other marketers interviewed, that is a common question that people get asked. And I'm, I'm actually shocked how many people fell into marketing and said, well, I was doing analytics, I was doing this, and then I got it, and then my boss asked me to go head marketing, and they got into there. I could tell you I'm actually one of the few, I think, that actually knew that I wanted to do marketing, even in high school. I remember uh, thinking that I, back then, was a lot about advertising and building brands and, and whatnot, and it was very much on the commercials in what you see. So I was always fascinated about that process. One, there's a the selling aspect, and then two, how do you position and message things? So I was always fascinated about marketing in general. And then I've learned to see throughout my career how things had kind of pivoted over the last, you know, 20, 25 years of doing this, that, you know, in the beginning, it was more about brand, 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 message, message. Lately, over the last, I would say, five to 10 years, it's been more about the analytics, being able to drive data, which is great, because we always wanted to know if our marketing is working. And now we finally have an opportunity to kind of hone in on that. So early in my career, I was working uh, for an ad agency. was lucky enough at a point in my time to work for a sports team. Actually, uh, three of them uh, was owned by the Washington clubs here. So it was Washington Mystics, Wizards, and the Capitol. So that was it was fun for a short period of time. But then I had gone on uh, doing... Good chunk of my career, 12 years at a company called Blackboard, which is online education. It's had a little bit of a rebirth during COVID here in terms of what we need to do to educate people online. But it was fascinating to be in those early years and helping set some of the early direction of the company. From there, I went out and started a company with one of the co-founders of Blackboard. We did a consumer mobile application to show people around you, and that company was called Social Radar we did exit and had sold the company. From there, I had worked at a analytics firm. So if you're familiar with like Microsoft Power BI and Tableau and, and Sisense and some, some of the folks there, we had a competitive product to them. Um, and then eventually, I uh, had found my way over to Hire Logic, which I'm super stoked about. I've been here about a year. We power online communities and we have a marketing automation product more specifically and purposely built for association market. We also do serve online communities for the corporate market. So It's a little bit in a nutshell. And I've been happy to have, I guess, 20 plus years of my career running the marketing here.
0: Hey, I love it, man. You set out with that intention, like you were saying, in high school, and then move forward and we're able to get into the career, which is, yeah, different than I'd say it's about a 50 per 50 mix on this show of the accidental marketer and then the intentional intentional marketer, or a lot of people who are like, they probably should have studied marketing, but they were like in psych, they were a psychology and journalism major. And then it's like, Oh, you were thinking like a marketer the entire time. That's interesting. I like the backstory, you know, going through also having that opportunity to start a company definitely probably brings uh, so, some new learnings and new lessons now when you're at higher logic to know, okay, this is what we should avoid. This is what we should try. that uh, You learn from yep. being a scrappy entrepreneur for sure. But before we dig, dig too deep, what does, uh, like when I look at it and I go, okay, a community engagement platform. What is that like? What's a use case for that? Because I understand it. I've done the research on the website, but for a listener who's going like, okay, what does that mean? And would I want to use something like this? Like what is a use case for higher logic?
1: Yeah. The best way to put it is our platform itself really creates a single destination that you can own as a brand And have your own branded community. I think something that you might be easy to grapple with is, is, okay, if I'm in a community, I might be in a Slack group or a Facebook group. Those are things you do not own. You do not own the platform. You probably don't even own the data that's inside of those communities. Um, Black owns it. Facebook owns it. So if you want to be able to control not only the look and feel, the conversation, the data, the integrations, all of that, you really need a platform, right? So the community itself, I think, is actually a miss. It's a thrown around word. They say, oh, I'm going to run a community. I'm going to build a community, that sort of thing. And you could do it in multiple different ways. And how you start your community could take you on a different journey. But the customers that we typically look for have kind of either evolved on that or they're trying to do something a little bit different. Their end objectives might be a little bit different. So if For corporations, it might be how do we reduce the number of support tickets? to our customer support team, right? It's very costly to have humans do that. Wouldn't it be great to have an online destination where you can get questions answered, You know, have other peers answer those questions so you can reduce some of the tickets? It also becomes a very much a knowledge base, right? So a place where you're there. And again, the whole premise would be, is it your brand? Is it your data? How do you connect that data maybe to the CRM, right? And that's in there and maybe you getting signals, how often people are reading information, how often are they interacting with it, creating content, all of those signals get pass through and you know in 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 the engagement platform and that really just helps with your business goals, right? So it's really those companies and those folks who have those mindset. That is not that is unlike, hey, let's just go start a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group and because we can feel like we can have a community, right? So hopefully that gives you a better sense.
0: Yeah, no, totally. If you're looking at something like let's say you are a real estate brokerage with 5,000 realtors and you would like to come in and have that community for them or, or on the corporate side of things, franchisees, et cetera. I think the big thing there that you hit on, I am very passionate about though, is owning channels. I think everything when it comes to social is rented space. Look, I run a social media agency, right? So I'm the, I'm the first person who says you should be on social. You should do that. And I do believe that, but I also believe that you need to own channels and own messaging. And if Facebook says we're disabling groups tomorrow, you are Sol and that to me is terrifying if you're relying on that or slack puts in a price structure that suddenly means you can't have a 5,000 person slack channel and for the listeners like that's something to think about right now if you are running a LinkedIn group and it's gotten to a you know a, a point of critical mass or it's become pivotal to your organization it might be time to look at some paid tools because things like that to me at least as a, a, a risk factor I uh, I mean, you tell me if if you probably get the horror stories of people being like, we had something going on. It was a massive Slack community (laughs) thing. And like, we were trying to communicate with 5,000 customers or whatever. But that to me makes me like, puts me at high alert whenever I see that, or we go to work with a corporation and they're doing something like that. I'm always like, okay, LinkedIn could turn you off any day. So yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on social as kind of rented channels versus, you know, owning it Yeah, I mean,
1: you're you're 100% right. I Oh, you're 100% right. I feel the same way about that as well. Not not just as a you know I'm trying to of course uh, market and sell my wares with higher logic, but I feel that way as a marketer itself. The more you can own and control the experience, we actually saw that. I think it was about a year ago. Yahoo Groups, who runs community and a lot of social groups there, they decided to shut down that platform. You know, a big company like Yahoo is making those critical decisions, and a lot of those people had to migrate and go find you know other solutions. So it's absolutely happening out there. You know, and it's just whether or not you want to be able to own the experience. And I think when you do get a commercial platform, you got to remember the companies who do this again, Slack is really about messaging the, them providing kind of external, what might be perceived as communities. That's not what they do. They now is it effective? Yeah. I'm in a number of Slack groups myself as being able to get information and, and that's pretty effective. But to your point, you're at the mercy of what they decide and it is not the core business. You know, so if a company like HireLogic or my pastimes at Blackboard, Blackboard, HireLogix, these other companies. This is exactly what we do. We are in business to serve this particular market and solve these particular problems. And I think there is a very much a risk that if you use whether it's a social media platform or something that's outside either the use case or you're not necessarily, you know, you you become at their mercy. It's a huge huge problem. And then I would even argue the data. Are you able to shape the data, extract the data, do you own the data? Do they own the data? Are they milking off your users, right? And we've seen that with other platforms like Facebook, you being able to drive somebody to a Facebook group. Well, Facebook's getting the benefit of that data as well.
0: And I mean, to another level is brand sentiment, right? Is a big scandal comes out against Facebook. And how is that going to affect what you're managing so now you're at the mercy of the sentiment towards mark zuckerberg which rewind the clock four years ago to the last election wasn't that great um, right <laughs> so it, all of those things when you start to look at brand you know risk i think are just so important and it's such a driving factor towards having your own space where you can control the message own the channel extract the data all of those things become really powerful you know, when you're looking for an enterprise corporate solution, I think that's spot on. Now, shifting gears a little bit, talk to me about coming in to, you know, coming into the leadership position in the CMO spot, really, how do you go through and keep a growth mindset instilled in the rest of your team at HireLogic?
1: Yeah, I I think it's interesting. I think first thing I would ask is like, you know, how are we defining what growth means? I think if you've look at me even the term growth over the last you know 5 to 6 7 years you know, even the portraying of a growth hacker, and you know, and and someone who sits maybe between marketing and product, and being able to grow product, and, and then you know that became certainly trend or fad for a little while. So I think if you're talking about in the purest sense of growing company and growing revenue and growing, you know, the opportunity for marketers to create pipeline and that sort of thing, I think what's interesting about it is, in my mind, you never it's a mindset of never stop learning. All right, because I have some really cool experience. I've had some pretty good success, but to be able to say I have a playbook and I'm just going to go drop it into higher logic when I started a year ago, it's it's very hard. I think you could take some of the frameworks, um, but taking those specific plans, you're talking about different personas, you're talking about different messaging, you're talking about a different brand, different client base. All of those things are so different that you just have to say, all right, how? what is the process of learning and what did we learn over those periods of time? And then really try and encourage your team to take risks, take chances, encouraging them to even saying it's okay to fail because some people worry about those things. Some members of the team feel like they're going to get fired if they do a bad job. And, you know, those aren't necessarily, you know, the ways that I subscribe. You you might get fired for doing other things, but, you know, having the growth mindset, being able to experiment, take those risks, um, because the truth is I don't have all the answers. And, you know, whether you're on the demand gen team or social media or whatever, you've got to go through this continuous learning environment. And, you know, it's really being able to do that. We structure our team where we actually just last week, something what we call in week, where we bring everybody and shut down everything pretty much for the week. And we have structured exercises, essentially, what did we learn? What are we going to do? What are we not going to do moving forward? So we have this reflective period. And to me, that's all about driving growth, right? So what did we learn collectively? And then how are we going to move the ball forward?
0: Yeah, I think that's spot on. And and I want to dive deeper into this in week and some of the lessons. Like I'm sure when you bring the team together, you're going to go in with some expectations, right? Being in the C-suite spot, C to be like, okay, you have a wider purview of things that are going on. You might know some of the learnings already or anticipate some of them going in. But was there anything that really, once you got the team in, or once you do this, or once you start to collect feedback, that really was a curveball or kind of flanked you to say, whoa, okay, I didn't expect that insight or I didn't expect to hear that from my team and ended up being a really good lesson you know, for the executive team or just for the company as a whole from bringing everybody together like that.
1: Yeah, I'll talk more abstract and I'll give you a few specific examples. One more in you know, a kind of a general sense here. They pay me theoretically to be both strategic and then they also like the ability that I can maybe get in the weeds a little bit and, and get in with the team. It's important, I think, to have both the strategic view and, and a little bit more tactical at times. However, I don't have all the time in the day to be that tactical. And I tell my team, you have to be the CEO. You have to act like the CEO of your business. So no matter what you work on, on the marketing team, you have to own it. And I often compare that to maybe running a small business or a storefront or you know running a shop. If someone was stealing from your store, <laughs> you'd probably want to get in the weeds and find out what's going on, right? Especially if it was pretty consistent there. Or if you were running out of inventory and hadn't you know, the ability to you know, know more. You can't just rely on other people to kind of do it. So you have to get in a little bit of the weeds. What I expect of the team, though, I think is to really understand their business so well That they can essentially present up in a not only just to the CMO, but the entire team and stand up and say, I own this. I'm really reflecting on this, and this is where I think we can move our business forward so that we're getting that collective wisdom. I think a few interesting things, you know when Covid hit, more than fifty percent of my budget was into of trade shows and events. We were doing about sixty five per year, which was actually reduced from the year before from like one hundred and ten, something crazy. And we had that you know ability. We focus in on certain markets, which require, don't require, it's just better if you do things a little bit more face-to-face and that's cool. But you don't have that opportunity anymore and you lose a lot of the channels in which we had. So you're like thinking, okay, what are the natural ways that we can, What what is available and what can we increase? And one of the things that I think I'm pretty excited about is really worked with my head of content marketing and said, all right, she is one person, but I'm like, how do we triple, quadruple, quintuple the output? Because guess what? I going to have to take those event dollars, still bring in leads, right? And then get the ability to do it. Well, one of the single best ways that I think a lot of marketers were doing was doubling down on content. But I had one person and I didn't have the ability just yet to go hire five more staffers, right? So what we did was we said, all right, let's come up with a freelancer model where we can get essentially a roster of five or six people that we can have at, at our disposal. And I don't mean to put them in that way. This sounds... Crude, but uh, essentially have them on our payroll that we can, you know, based on long-form content, short-term content, social media content, and we could tap into them. And essentially, we'd be the subject matter experts, but get them to do some of the hard work and heavy lifting, whether it's a 12 or 18-page ebook, or you know, maybe something of different nature. And that's actually proved to be pretty well. And as we were reflecting on it, our content output really met. We were triple from where we were in 2019 when we actually had two dedicated full-time staffers. Now in 2020, we dropped the one, but brought on a roster of six freelancers. And by the way, all of those six freelancers, with even quadrupling the content output, with still half the cost of what a full time salary person would be. So you're able to get those economies of scale and reducing. And by the way, our form fills, our top of the form engagements are through the roof. So, you know, th- those are a couple examples of things that we've done.
0: That's and I, I want to jump in for a sec cuz I think that's so important to look at scalability of your content plan but also there's an underlying thing there that is specialization because if you have a full-time staff and we started as a magazine right and then we ended up becoming content marketing agency doing social and I we understood very quickly that you can't only one person can only create so much content. And it's a a lot better model, like you're saying, to go out and actually connect with specialized freelancers who can then take, okay, we're going to do something on segmenting audiences for emails. Okay, let's go find an email expert to go write that post or create that ebook on audience segmentation. Because I'm a C plus in that topic, you know, and he's going to be or she's going to be the A plus and that's what we want to do. And then hearing that, like what you said, the cost goes down because you have the specialization and the scalability of a content plan like that. And then you start to see the results. And that's the other part of it that's so important is tying that back to form fills. I talk on this show a lot and I'm sure the listeners might be getting tired of it, but I'm going to say it again. Marketers, we have to figure (laughs) out, (coughs) we can't be positioned like the arts and crafts department we have to be tied back to revenue and to leads and to and to a- actual demand gen and lead gen. So I just love what you, what you said there about creating a freelancer, you know, network for content. I think that's so important. Now, if somebody was listening, right, and they wanted to do that and they say, okay, that sounds good. But like, where would you recommend they find, find freelancers? Just go out and use tap their network. Would you say Upwork? You know, how does that look?
1: The way that we did it was actually, we used a multitude of different opportunities. One, I had people in my network that I had turned on to my co- head of content marketing and said, hey, I'm, I'm just bringing the people to you. If you think this person, he or she is good and can understand our business, then you make the decision. I don't wanna interfere, but you know I wanna be able to turn the people that I've used in the past that have had good experiences. Um, it may not be as subject matter relevant, but if, if they're a good writer and you think they can learn the material, then go ahead and bring on. So we ended up finding a couple of people that way. And then the other is we actually created a job description that we posted on our website saying freelance content marketing writer, right? And then and we had the ability to promote that via LinkedIn job posts and and whatnot. And then we had a, a number of folks that came in inbound that way. That the content person interviewed and you know put through a little bit of um, an exercise. And we looked at past work and that sort of thing. And then we also put out uh, many of us put out calls to our LinkedIn and saying, Hey, we're looking. And you know, all of a sudden you're getting tagged by somebody you don't know, and then it gets referred that way. So we leveraged social. We posted on our blog. We had our sorry not a blog, uh, our company website. And then we had our recruiters go out. Out there and actually start to recruit for this as well. We didn't use like the Upwork model and that sort of thing. We didn't use a, we call it like a recruiting agency or anything like that.
0: Cool. No, I think that's a good, uh, I think that's good to hear. And for people listening, because a lot of times people think they have to use something like an agency or Upwork. And a lot of times it's like, just get the message out on your website, put it on LinkedIn, tap your existing network and you'll be surprised because I don't even know what you would call it, but I guess referral, when people start tagging their friends in comments, those are cool. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I love those. Whenever I'm looking, hundred <laughs> percent. I, I will say, I will
1: say, it does take time.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, those are gold. I, I
1: will say, it takes time. It, it, you know, I'm making it sound pretty easy, but Elizabeth, who's on the team who runs this, I mean, it, it took her a good three, four months to get a full, full, confident roster of people that we can trust that we can tap into.
0: Yeah, it definitely don't want to downplay the time. It does take time for sure. Now, when I look at content that you are creating, I see you have a blog. Are there any other types of content that you're exploring, looking at? Whether that I know you mentioned ebooks, is it YouTube, podcasts, or doubling down on written content? Like where where do you see the mix going for a Higher Logic with a content breakdown?
1: Yeah, I, our mission for this year is was a little bit different than it's going to go into next year, as we reflected from last week. Going into the year, especially then we got hit by COVID and a lot of things went underground. We, we try to be, um, our company, thankfully, had been, it, it, well before I got here, had been known for a lot of the content and thought leadership that we were putting out there. We felt that the content needed to double down on being helpful, prescriptive whether it's helping one of our personas take it to their board, even whether they we, they have to justify the decision on community. So we need to give them actual even slide help or even like one, two, three help to get into those specific things. So we doubled down on that effort. I think heading into next year, you know, and t- talking with our team here, the means in which people are interacting with content, I think we we're hearing more and more that the long form, they may go in and skim it or take a, an abstract of it or, you know, grab a piece here to put it in their slide decks and those sorts of things that they need to use for internal. But I think what we need to do is think about more short soundbite type of content and reinforce a message that if we have two or three themes that we want to take throughout the year, how do we take that, you know, those in smaller chunks and kind of reinforce it? Because, you know, we, we were just talking to a customer last week and we asked her very specifically, have you been, you know, in, what do you know about our messaging? Have you been interacting? And she's like, I just don't have time. So, the more interactive maybe Quizlets or things where they can get a little bit of research and get some information. I think that's best served either through video, interactive. You could also say maybe infographics will make a comeback, a little bit of a comeback next year, that sort of thing. So I'm just thinking of short digestible things of maybe taking the hard work that we did all this year where we have some really meaty (laughs) eBooks. I think we produced 18 this year that are anywhere from six to 18 pages in length. So they're pretty meaty. Um, The question is now, how do you take some of those central themes that we have heading into next year, taking some of the hard work there and chop it up into other, you know, different ways in which you can learn, including, you know, we're even investigating doing a podcast ourselves, you know, with some of the central themes that we've pulled out this year.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of repurposing for each particular medium and taking an overall theme and saying, okay, we have you know, theme one and then looking at that medium that a person who is a reader and wants every single research point, like, yeah, they want the ebook and they're going to dive head first in. But customer B you're talking about who's scrolling on social media or just doesn't have the time or maybe wants, you know, a 5-minute podcast. I think of like I listen to this one Snacks Daily. It's a Robin Hood. I I don't use Robinhood, but I listen to their mm. podcast. It's a 2-minute or 3-minute podcast on the markets, the stock market. And I'm like, that's all I I'm sure that there's 2-hour breakdowns every day of the stock market and I'm sure I can read a bunch of stuff. I just want the 2 minutes what's happening. Cool, and then I'm back to my music. And I think people, you know, every customer is going to have that different journey. So from a business perspective, is creating more opportunities for potential customers to see your content, and that could be in a podcast, it could be taking pieces of the blog, creating social content, audio, video, etc. So I think that's uh, spot on, and it's also great when a lot of the research is already done. It's not like you're trying to build an ebook out of a out of a social yes. post. <laughs> That totally,
1: is totally. No, for sure.
0: Well, Kevin, before I let you go, let people know where they can learn more about higher logic and uh, connect with you online.
1: We just launched a new website over the summer. So we were very excited. There's a lot of great content and, you know, we refreshed our brand out there. So hirelogic.com is our company website. I totally love people connecting with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm sure in the show notes you'll get the spelling right. So I'm happy to do it. The one thing I do ask is uh, if people can reference the podcast in which they heard me, I think it's hard. I get a lot of uh, connections and sometimes it's a lot of salespeople just trying to get to me, but it, it would make a big difference if they referred, you know, referred the podcast.
0: Also, if you're listening to this and you Jump in and try to sell Kevin, uh, <laughs> Kevin software, you can go to hell, listener. I don't yeah, like exactly. that <laughs> so totally. Totally, that's the stuff where I'm always like, as people start giving away their email at the end of the show, I'm like, okay, I get it. Because if people listen to the very end of the podcast when it's closing, yeah, we'll give away the it. email, yeah, but I'm like. I think the, my I think our listeners are pretty good. I haven't had anything yet with people doing it, but I'm definitely like like you. I get fifty, you know, LinkedIn requests a day and they're all, all garbage. So reference the podcast yep. if you want to connect with Kevin. Yeah, I and agree. I will put the links this sh- yes. I will put all of the links in the show notes page. Cool. No, that's great. Well, Kevin, thanks again for coming on. This was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, Jordan, thank you so much. I enjoyed being here.
0: Alrighty, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will catch you next time.